Welcome to MuggleCast, your weekly ride into the Wizarding World fandom. I'm Andrew. I'm Micah. And I'm Laura. This week, we'll be exploring many different Deathly Hallows what-if scenarios. Get ready for some mental gymnastics, folks, because we're going to be heading in many different directions today, and it's going to get complicated, but it's also going to be fun. Eric isn't here this week, but to help us with today's discussion, we are very excited to welcome back Sequoia from the podcast Fanatical Fix and where to find them. Hey, Sequoia, welcome back to the show. Hello, I'm so happy to be back. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we're thrilled to have you. You have a very cool podcast. Tell us tell us about Fanatical Fix for anybody who doesn't know. Yeah, for sure. So Fanatical Fix and Where to Find Them is a Harry Potter fan fiction podcast. Me and one of my very best friends, Kim, we find and do like a read react style podcast to just sort of like the most outlandish fan fictions we can find. And we keep them to before July of 2008 because we're trying to like capture a moment a moment in time in fan fiction where either people didn't know how the story was going to end or the story just ended and everybody was like, well, I want more, so I'm going to write more now. And it's a really a lot of fun. We both write fanfic. We love fanfic. So it's a really fun space to just like love fan fiction. I love that you set that hard line because and it's also fitting for uh, the episodes that we've actually been doing this month because we've been trying to kind of relive July 2007 since it's right. the 15th anniversary of Deathly Hallows. I know Laura and I went on Fanatical Fix. Mike and Eric did too, I think. Eric has been on. We haven't had Micah on yet. We we, we right. keep talking about how, to, how we have to collect them all. All the Micahs. <laughs> we got to collect them all. All right. Micah, you got to go Micah, on. Micah, you have to do it. You just let me know when. Okay, great. We're going to do it. We're going to collect them all. I'm very excited. <laughs> if you need me to read a fan fiction, I'm happy to do that too. Oh, that might be good. <laughs> yeah, Micah, Micah's got the voice, a good narrator voice. He, he yes. needs to get into audiobooks, but for now, he can do it on fanatical fix. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Sequoia, can you have him do a song fic, please? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> what does that mean? Yes. You will find out, Micah. I don't want to spoil the surprise. <laughs> yeah, well, we just won't tell you now, but that's what it's going to be. <laughs> All right. And you also have another podcast, Sequoia, right? Yes, I have another podcast called But Make It Scary. It's a show where me and my guest take a romantic film and we rewrite it as a horror film. And Eric has actually been on twice. Wow. Yeah, Eric did 10 Things I Hate About You and The Parent Trap he did recently so oh snap it's a really fun show we'll check out both of your podcasts for sure thank you so much for uh coming on today we appreciate it yeah so before we get to our what if discussions today our what if scenarios we wanted to talk about a little news that's been making headlines across the world actually i don't i'm not sure we would have spoken about this but the new york times picked it up the washington post picked it up every media outlet picked it up Quidditch, the muggle version of Quidditch, yes, that's a real thing that actually happens in the world, is changing its name to Quadball. Now, there are three associations who run real-life Quidditch leagues. They're pretty popular in colleges, actually, which is super cool. I know Micah and I, we went to a Quidditch tournament 12 years ago at this point in New York City. It was really cool. It was a beautiful fall day. We've got some really nice pictures from it. I'll never forget that. It was a really nice afternoon watching people play Quidditch on the ground, of course. But yeah, they've announced that they're changing their name to Quad Ball for two reasons. One is to distance the sport and themselves from J.K. Rowling. 
because of her stances on trans people and trans rights, but two, because the governing bodies want to trademark their sports name and they can't trademark Quidditch because Warner Brothers obviously owns that. So we were talking about this in our group Slack over the last few days, and it, it just wasn't sitting right with us, to be honest, that they said, well, there's two reasons we want to do this. One is to distance the sport from J.K. Rowling. Oh, and then the other reason is we want to trademark the name. The real reason is they want to trademark the name. If they wanted to distance themselves from J.K. Rowling, they would have done this like two, three years ago. <laughs> that isn't the reason. I don't know if you all know this, uh, but I was heavily involved in Quidditch for like... I didn't. Six or six plus years. I was a referee. I played. I started the Utah Crimson Flyers at the University Whoa, of Utah. That's awesome. I was the international director of the International Referee Development Program. I've refereed on in four countries. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's very serendipitous that you're talking about this today, and I happen to also be here. Um, but uh, the IQA, formerly the IQA and then USQ, and then there was a new IQA, they've been talking about this for a really long time. And it's always been because um, Quidditch organizations are forced to be nonprofits by the the idea that Quidditch is trademarked. So Warner Brothers will only let them be nonprofits. And if they're not, then they'll come after them, basically. Right. So there's like a lot going on there as as far as and has always been going on since the sport started that they have been trying to figure out a way to get around. And I think for a really long time, they were like, hey, it, it's drawing people in to call it Quidditch. When you call, call it Quidditch, people are like, oh, that's the Harry Potter sport. That's so weird. I want to go watch it. I want to play it. I love Harry Potter. But I think that the change has come in recently where people are finally like, okay, we can distance ourselves from Harry Potter because a lot of people have a bad taste in their mouth about it, you know? Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. I totally get the reason for wanting to change the name so they can copyright it and start making some money off of this and not be a nonprofit. I totally get that. I just thought it was a little odd that they said it was to distance the sport from JK Rowling. And then they didn't really get into like trans issues. And maybe they don't want to rustle any feathers. Just looking at their statements, it was like, yeah, we want to get away from JK Rowling. And then, oh, we also want to trademark it. I don't know. It wasn't totally sitting right with me. To be honest, though, a lot of people in fandom want to distance themselves from JK Rowling, ourselves included. So right. I understand that being part of the consideration. But I think to the points that everyone's been talking about here, it's been an issue for the leagues for quite some time. And it just so happens that the timing is working out such that they're able to make this change now. And there's this added layer of like, JK Rowling is transphobic and we don't want to be affiliated with that either, which yeah. I get. I think the other thing that is happening here is that the news outlets, of course, are running with the headline that they're making this decision solely because they want to distance themselves from the author. Yeah. I'm not sure that it would be as big of a story if this piece of it was not included. You're right. Yeah. So that's what's happening there. Should we change our name to Mugcast? Warner Brothers hasn't come after us yet, but <laughs> we will change our name to Mugcast if you threaten us. Or Pickle Pack. We will bring back Pickle Pack. Yeah, we're not afraid to change our name if we have to. <laughs> Welcome to Mugcast. 
your weekly ride into the world of mugs. Today, we went to a thrift store and we found many mugs that we are reviewing today. I'd listen to that podcast. That sounds great. It sounds so cozy, right? Yeah. Maybe for April Fool's. What do you have in your mug this week? Uh, I have some some black tea here with me today. That sounds great. One more item before we get to our what if discussion. Don't forget, we just announced this year's gifts for our patrons. You can join the MuggleCast Collectors Club and or receive the first and last ever MuggleCast wand, depending on your pledge level. Visit patreon.com slash MuggleCast and pledge today. You have until August 7th. It's only a couple weeks now to pledge or upgrade your existing pledge to receive your gift. You must also remain pledged for three months at least to get your gift. The MuggleCast Collectors Club comes with five brand new vinyl MuggleCast-inspired stickers every year, as well as a beautiful backing club card to collect them all on. And we'll be sending you four to five new stickers every year for the next few years. So it's going to be a really cool project. And the MuggleCast wand is an 11-inch handmade wooden wand by our friends at Heartwood Wands. And we came up with a few brand new spells, which you'll receive with your wand upon delivery. So again, that's patreon.com slash MuggleCast, and your support goes to running the show and inspires us to do the show every week. We really do need your support. For example, Slack is ditching um, some of the benefits of their free plans. That's where we communicate and work on the show throughout the week. So now we have to start paying for Slack. Ugh. So our Patreon goes to things like that, helping us actually run the show and manage the show. So thank you very much. All right, let's jump into this discussion. So we were inspired to think about you know, it's the 15th anniversary of Deathly Hallows. We're having a Deathly Hallows themed month here at the show. And we were kind of inspired, I think, in part by Marvel's What If, which explores the different story possibilities if things had played out differently in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So we thought, why don't we do that with Harry Potter? Our original idea was making it strictly a Deathly Hallows edition. But I think that at least I, I think we, though, learned very quickly when we were thinking about these scenarios that because Deathly Hallows is the story where all the threads are sort of like brought together, there are a lot of things that happen in the earlier books that have or would have a significant impact on book seven if they had turned out different. So You may hear some things in this discussion that don't necessarily happen in book seven, but that would have a huge impact on the outcome of book seven. Is that that about cover it, y'all? I think that about about covers it. And you're right. The Marvel series did inspire this. Yeah. By the way, y'all, if you haven't watched it, it's really good. I know it's like animated. So I know that maybe it's not everyone's cup of tea, but it's actually really, really good. So if you have Disney Plus, that's like an unofficial recommendation this week. But we can go (laughs) ahead and dive in with our first what if question that I think would drastically impact the trajectory of the series. What if Harry were sorted into Slytherin? Let's say that he never met Draco Malfoy, so he didn't get a bad taste put in his mouth about Slytherin. And when the sorting hat suggested maybe Slytherin, Harry, not knowing anything about the history of the Hogwarts houses, was like, "Uh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Well, wait, is this a movieism or... When he's going not Slytherin, not Slytherin. No, it's a bookism, too. It is a bookism. Okay. 
we know that Draco was pining to be friends with Harry. So, of course, Draco would have been very excited for this. And I think Draco maybe would have tried to explain to him why Slytherin is very good. Though he might not have a ton of information either, other than his family being in Slytherin and a couple of his friends. Yeah, I'm wondering who his friends would be, because I think that at this stage in the story, unless Draco was just differently characterized, which is totally possible. I mean, you can kind of look at Draco's character arc throughout the series and you can kind of like sort of slide the the point where he changes allegiances anywhere you want in the series and it completely alters the outcome of book seven and Draco's character arc. But I, I don't know. I think that it is probably likely that Draco was still kind of a little turd at this point, no matter <laughs> yeah. like what kind of what if story we're looking at. So yeah. I wonder if it, the same scenario would have played out where Draco tried to be friends with Harry, but Harry was like, uh, you're a jerk. So I'm wondering who in Slytherin he might have formed an allegiance with. Would he still have made friends in other houses? So I think the tricky thing about who's Harry's friends would have been is that all the Slytherins are painted as not great people in the books, right? So it's like, who would Harry exactly associate I associate with? I almost see a scenario where like, he gets sorted into Slytherin and he's happy about it for like 10 seconds just because yeah. he was sorted somewhere. And then as time goes on, he's like, wait, I don't like anybody in here. Is yeah. it possible to switch houses, Dumbledore? <laughs> Yes. Yeah, and then maybe he wouldn't have ended up being friends with Gryffindors because Gryffindors have like such a big like anti-Slytherin vibe. So maybe he would have just been in Slytherin and just like friends with some cool Hufflepuffs. And I think <laughs> that's really cute. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it has been established that Hufflepuffs are the ones who kind of transcend the house competition kind of vibe they have friends everywhere so maybe harry would have been closer with like a cedric diggory or a hannah abbott are we presuming though that harry is the same coming into it like everything that he went through before getting to hogwarts is totally the same so he had the same upbringing by the dursleys yeah i think so you can think about it that way you can also i mean the whole point of this kind of discussion is that it allows you to throw anything at the wall and see what works. So you could think about his upbringing being the same, or we're going to be talking about like, what if, you know, Voldemort, well, we'll do this as an honorable mention because we've talked about it before, but okay, let's say that Voldemort chose Neville instead of Harry. And that's Harry's kind of origin story. He comes to Hogwarts and gets sorted into Slytherin. That's one way to think about it too. Yeah, or even if he gets sorted into Gryffindor, is he a completely different person because he was brought up by his parents? Maybe he has a little bit of that edge that we hear that James has, and he has a totally different experience at school as a result. Yeah, I could see Ron being friends with a James-like version of Harry, but I don't <laughs> yeah. I don't see Hermione tolerating it. <laughs> no, no. I think another thing to consider, too, is that Harry's son did end up being sorted into Slytherin. Of course, it's a whole different time, though, and it seems like 
seems like Rowling and maybe the other writers of Cursed Child were trying to clean up the image of Slytherin. So you have to keep that in mind, too. But a Potter did go into Slytherin and we're led to believe it went well enough. Of course, Scorpius was a good Slytherin, which is not what we saw from Draco. But maybe maybe Cursed Child is a reflection of what No, probably not. But maybe (laughs) Cursed Child is a reflection of what things would have been like if Harry did get into Slytherin. Draco would have been a nice boy who we all adored, and Harry and Draco would have fallen in love just like Albus and Scorpius did, and everything would have been fine. That's my final answer. But if (laughs) Harry and Draco fell in love, then Albus and Scorpius would never exist. (gasps) Sad. Well, you don't know that. Things... Well, things, things, things happen. happen. Sure. Experiments happen. <laughs> I mean, what if Harry went into Slytherin, though, and then like was sort of like this this beacon of niceness and attracted to him other Slytherins who may have a tendency to be nice, but like are just kind of quiet and say nothing or are like uh sort of bullied into being your typical Slytherin because they don't have anybody there who's like strong and nice. So maybe Harry would have made like a cute little like nice Slytherin crew. I like this. Mm-hmm. And yeah, over the course of the seven years, Harry is kind of is leading the cleanup, if you will, of the Slytherin image. Yeah. I can go with that one. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. See, the the interesting thing about this what if discussion today is there's really a billion different (laughs) directions all these answers can go. There's no right answer and there's no conclusion. Yeah, exactly. Is there then a larger chance that the Slytherins become a part of Dumbledore's army, that Harry helps Neville or whomever when it comes time to face Voldemort, but does it from the Slytherin perspective? I, I like this. Yeah, it Mm -hmm. feels like a a more nuanced take on sort of like sorting and house background, because what we get so early on in the books is like, Gryffindors are brave, Ravenclaws are smart, Hufflepuffs are nice, and Slytherin like hiss, evil, we don't (laughs) like them. And that's just not a realistic way to look at people. I mean, yes, we get the Dracos, you know, his little posse, Pansy Parkinson, you know, all of the Slytherins that we know to be, quote, baddies. But thinking about how many students are in a Hogwarts house, we don't get a representation of every single Slytherin that would have been in that house. So we can't assume that they're all bad. No. Must be a Weasley brought up in our Discord uh, a really interesting question about Harry going into Slytherin if Voldemort had chosen Neville instead. So this would presume that Lily and James are still alive. What would James think of his son going into Slytherin? I think he would be shocked and maybe a little upset at first, but I would hope he would come around in time. You could see him going to Hogwarts to petition Dumbledore to move <laughs> Harry. Dumbledore, Albus. what happened? Are you messing with me, man? I'll be come listening. On. Come on. <laughs> Harry's got to go to Gryffindor. I could kind of see this creating a rift between father and son, at least for a few years during Harry's schooling. Um, given that Lily has the experience of her, you know, school friend school best friend slash person who had unrequited feelings for her being in Slytherin. I don't think that Lily would have cared as much. So Harry probably would have been closer to his mom 
as a result of this, James probably would have had to grapple with some feelings before he was able to really be close with his son. This reminds me of coming out to your father. (laughs) Yeah? (laughs) Dad, I'm gay. Dad, I'm in Slytherin. (laughs) I'm not talking to you for months. (laughs) Well, another interesting question, though, too, now is who is head of Slytherin House? Who is the teaching potions? Because it's not going to be Snape, presumably. Right? Everything's all messed up now. (laughs) (laughs) I think it would probably be Slughorn. Like, if we're thinking about a character that we are familiar with who has a background being head of Slytherin House teaching potions. Um, It feels Mm -hmm. like he would be a pretty easy person to plug into that spot. Yeah. And then is Snape involved at all? (laughs) Yeah, that is is a good question. One more follow-up question on this, like what if Harry was sorted into Slytherin? How would Voldemort have approached Harry had he been sorted into Slytherin? He would have felt a little torn, I guess. <laughs> High level recruit. Oh, he's the he's he's who I need to defeat. But oh, Slytherin, he's in my house. He's one of my people. You think there would have been more of an effort to get Harry on his side? Yeah, I guess if he was in Slytherin, then maybe Voldemort would have been like, there's something inside of him that wants the power and I can provide the power to him, you know? Right. Like having the ability to mold such a young mind to act as a protege of sorts. Mm-hmm. Well, let's think about something else that didn't happen in book seven, but would have had a pretty distinct outcome for book seven. What if Harry had not inadvertently destroyed the diary in Chamber of Secrets? The diary still would have existed. But what if Harry didn't have the the kind of presence of mind to think, yeah, this thing's evil and I should do away with it. What if he was like, this thing sucks. I'm going to take it to Dumbledore because he'll know Mm. what to do with it. And then Dumbledore perhaps falls prey to the diary just like he did to the ring. Right. In book six. Yeah, I guess Dumbledore does have a penchant for like keeping things that maybe he shouldn't keep or using things that maybe he shouldn't use because he does have that sort of like want for a little bit of that want for power and knowledge and stuff inside of him. So I feel like if he'd given it to Dumbledore, Dumbledore wouldn't have immediately tried to find a way to get rid of it. He just would have kept it. And maybe that would have come back to bite them later in some way. Yeah, even if we assume that Dumbledore isn't fooled by the diary, maybe him being introduced to the diary so much earlier, or rather being introduced to a Horcrux so much earlier, and messing with it, looking into the magic that created it, starting to connect the dots between other items that were of significance to Tom Riddle. Maybe he puts the pieces together about Horcruxes much earlier in the story. Well, my question is, if, if if Harry doesn't stab the diary with the basilisk fang, I think that that gets into some like messed up, like, how do we get to knowing that the basilisk venom is going to get rid of it? How do you know, like that really messes up how we kill Horcruxes in the end? Yeah. Yeah. And then what happens to Tom Riddle, too? He just kind of is free to go and do what he wants. Does Ginny die? Yeah, 
I'm trying to put myself into the shoes of a 12-year-old. And I don't know that I would necessarily have the presence of mind to think like, yeah, if I stab this book, (laughs) Ginny won't die. But there are a lot of consequences, though, to him just like closing the book and taking it back to Dumbledore's office because Ginny's lying there. Tom Riddle is getting stronger. And now do we have a world where Voldemort is kind of back? Pre-Goblet of Fire. It would be a much shorter series, I think, if Voldemort came <laughs> back this yeah. early. <laughs> be like four or five books, maybe. But it is interesting to think about because we do know that books two and six, I mean, we've talked about yeah. connecting the threads between, you know, one and seven, two and six, three and five. But we also know that um, from interviews um, with the author that a lot of the themes that we ended up not seeing until book six were originally part of the draft for book two. Um, So I think that there is some potential here to kind of, again, slide these moments in time around in the series to see how things might have played out differently. But yeah, you're totally right, Micah. I think had Harry not destroyed this when he did, Voldemort would just would have come back sooner. All right. That's our answer. Locked in. (laughs) Yeah. It would have been a cluster way sooner. (laughs) Thinking about kind of an impact on something we learn about in book three, but it happens way back in the 80s, but again, would have a significant impact on the outcome of the series. What if Lily and James had kept Sirius as their secret keeper? Oh, my God. This one absolutely breaks my entire brain. (laughs) (laughs) You know, the first thing I, I think about is we know the reason they changed Secret Keepers was because they thought Sirius was the most obvious choice. Mm -hmm. So I think clearly somebody would have tried to go kill Sirius. Yeah. And Sirius didn't want it either, right? I think Sirius was hesitant. I think Sirius also knew that he was the obvious choice. And at the time, they were all in agreement that the best protection for the Potters was to pick someone less obvious. Yeah. So I do wonder if they had stuck with Sirius. I don't think Sirius would have betrayed them, but I think somebody would have tried to kill him. And that's Mm -hmm. one major change that Sirius could have died long before Harry had a chance to consciously know him. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But then you wonder about the impact of the Fidelius charm, right? Um, I looked up on wizardingworld.com some information about what happens if the Secret Keeper dies, and I wasn't able to find like a straightforward answer. The secret keeper isn't able to be coerced into giving the secret. They have to give it voluntarily. That's how um, this term works. So I'm wondering if Sirius dies and he's he dies with that secret, unless somebody else knows the secret, then are the Potters just in hiding forever? Does nobody know where they are? <laughs> Yeah, it's really sad to think about never getting to witness Harry and Sirius's relationship growing and then losing the impact that Sirius had on Harry. Sirius was a huge factor, I think, in the person Harry was becoming. And we're raising a question here that would remove all of that. Yeah, well, and just thinking, too, about something like Snape's worst memory, I mean, we can assume, or at least this is my line of thinking, in this reality Snape still has unrequited love for Lily, and because she doesn't die, he's maybe not quite the changed person that we see him being in the series. 
Um, but one way or another, if Harry were to be exposed to Snape's worst memory, the only information he would have about his godfather, apart from whatever his parents told him, was this memory and seeing how he treated and how he bullied someone. I don't know that Sirius being the secret keeper actually changes any of the things that happened there, though, because I feel like Peter would still know where they live. Peter would still be Peter. Peter would tell Voldemort that Sirius is the secret keeper. And so Voldemort could just kill Sirius and then Peter could just tell Voldemort where the house is. Right. Yeah. right. So like yeah. it, that might not actually change the outcome of uh, of Harry's parents dying and all of that all of that stuff, what it would change is that Sirius would be dead. Yeah. And then Harry doesn't have that parental figure from books three through five. Right. And he's forced to acknowledge Hagrid for the great father figure that he is. (laughs) Forced to acknowledge. Ouch. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) I mean, he like he names his damn kids after everyone else. I know. (laughs) Here's another one for y'all. What if... Cedric Diggory hadn't died. Well, clearly he would become a Death Eater and then... (laughs) (laughs) So that's one thought that I had looking at other things that are, you know, allegedly canon. Would Cedric Diggory necessarily have been an ally to Harry and Dumbledore? If he has this propensity in his character to become a Death Eater, you know, I think that it would be nice to think that Cedric would come back with Harry and be like, Yes, I saw it. Yes, it's real. No, Dumbledore's not crazy. But if there is this darkness in him that leads him to becoming a Death Eater and Cursed Child, is it possible that could have manifested here had he lived? I mean, what if the way Cedric lives is by aligning with Voldemort in the graveyard? Or it could have been that he was he was in on it all along. And when he gets to the graveyard with Harry, he like, yeah. Oh, my God. So he's like working with uh, Barty Crouch Jr. all year to sabotage (laughs) Harry. Oh, my God. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) This is the one that has like blown my mind the most so far. Like imagining Cedric and Imposter Moody working together to like gain Harry's confidence all year and yeah. make him think they're on his side and then in the graveyard be like, psych. And what would Cedric's father think about all this? Would he still go, my boy? But like in a proud <laughs> tone, not a sad tone. <laughs> I mean, That's my boy. He's in on it too. Yeah, yeah. maybe. <laughs> That's my boy. That's my boy. <laughs> Or if he's very against the dark side, he might still go, my boy. Yeah, in the sad tone, yeah. Dark side? (laughs) This is just like when Harry was sorted into Slytherin and James was upset. (laughs) I feel the same way. (laughs) Betrayed. I'm just imagining like how this would actually fit because Cedric does kind of give Harry hints along the way that would lull Harry and us as readers into thinking Cedric's an ally and what what whiplash it would be to suddenly see Cedric like I've been playing you all year that would have been cool Voldemort's my new daddy (laughs) (laughs) the thing I don't like about this though is that there had been numerous character surprises throughout the course of the series already Thinking about the twists involving Quirrell and Lockhart and Barty Crouch Jr. So I don't think we needed another one. But it would have been a good twist because it's always 
it's always the DADA teacher. The fact that it would have involved a student as well. I just wonder would he have come back and been like, man, that final task was awesome. And that was it. <laughs> <laughs> that graveyard, what a setup. Yeah. yeah. And then Harry is like, no, no, no. Voldemort's back. He was there. Cedric sided with him. And Cedric's like, hasn't there been some really bad press about you all year? Didn't you enter this tournament illegally? Like, why should anybody believe you? This is the aspect that's so interesting to me, because this is when things really begin to turn. Of course, it takes until the end of book five for Fudge to finally, finally believe it. But they have some Harry's got some concrete proof. And the death of Cedric is also some very strong proof. And for Cedric to come back and be like, I don't know what Harry's talking about. That would be devastating. Yeah. We would need an eighth book. Yeah. In um, <laughs> in the Discord, we've got a couple of people chiming in. Um, Miranda says, Cursed Child would have made way more sense if this was how things played out. Um, Court says, I don't know about y'all, but I remember being suspicious of Cedric almost the whole book. Oh. So there's something here. All right. So, Laura, I think you have one more for us here. I do have one more. And it is something that we've alluded to over some of these various different um, alternate views of the series. What if Draco had changed his allegiances earlier and served as a double agent for Dumbledore's army instead of foiling them? So I'm thinking that he could have had maybe a Snape type role where he's, quote, in with Umbridge and the Inquisitorial squad because of, you know, who he is and and how he can pass as somebody who's maybe affiliated with the dark side in life because of the Malfoy name. Um, I'm thinking about how some members of the order kind of served this purpose as well, where they were working at the ministry and intentionally giving misinformation to the ministry about Harry's whereabouts and what he was doing and what Dumbledore was doing. So I'm wondering if Draco could have mirrored this um, kind of role at Hogwarts with Harry and Dumbledore's army. Yeah, I like thinking about this because I still remember Order of the Phoenix and being nervous for Dumbledore's army training in secret being and and i as a reader was nervous that they would be caught so to know that draco was actually helping protect them and keeping the da under wraps so they can prepare in in private and not worry about um being found out that that would be very cool and i think that could also just help them focus more and train better and maybe more efficiently if they didn't have to worry about umbridge knocking on their door and i think draco would have been able to offer that total protection just throwing umbridge off the trail i wonder though what would have been the trigger for him to switch and to be informing dumbledore's army or like you're saying laura do we get to deathly hallows and suddenly there's this big reveal that harry and draco have actually been working together for the entire series and (laughs) nobody knew about it (laughs) or if we wanted to connect it to the potential what if scenario about Cedric living and turning bad, that would um, probably put things into motion a little bit quicker for Voldemort, I would have to think. Maybe Draco starts to see the implications of that earlier in the series. 
because of that change. And he's like, oh, my God, this is messed up. I don't really like Harry, but there's a greater good here. Right. So maybe I mean, we know he has it in him. He shows it in book seven and and Cursed Child. But maybe it happens a little bit earlier in the series for that reason. It wouldn't even have to be in the universe where Cedric lived. I think it might even be enough of a of a trigger for Draco that Voldemort's back. Like as soon as Voldemort's back, it's real. It's real and it's happening. And maybe in a world where Draco was because he does he does make kind of kind of a turn. But like he's still I don't know if it's because he just is so concerned about making sure that like his family is safe or that he is trying to have um the acceptance or the acclaim of his family or whatever that drives him to be so awful and to do the bad things for a while. But like once Voldemort is back, you have to think that like this kid is like, oh, wait, killing all muggles. That's a real thing that they want to do. Yeah, which we see that he's comfortable with from a rhetorical standpoint earlier on in the books. But I think we see that Draco, when he is presented with the actual reality of killing Dumbledore, for example, in book six, he can't do it. So maybe we could argue then that it is possible for Draco to have that change of heart earlier on in the series. Maybe something happens where he witnesses his father doing something heinous. And he's like, oh, no, this is real. And I don't really like muggles. Like, I've still got some internalized um, bigotry there, but it's not enough to make me want to kill somebody. So that's a possibility for him, too. Right. We also received some what if scenarios on Twitter that are really, really interesting. Um, This first one comes from Meg, who wants to know, what if Rita Skeeter never published The Life and Lies of Albus Dumbledore? That's a huge impact yeah. on Harry's view of Dumbledore in book seven. I'm trying to remember what the direct impact of that is on like the plot outside of just his regular. What do I think about Dumbledore? Because he needs the information, right? Mm-hmm. He does. I mean, there's a lot of information in there, but it mostly reveals the Hallows and Less so for him, more so for Hermione, who starts to put the pieces of the puzzle together. And then Harry jumps in and is able to help as well. But to me, that's a major piece that would be missing. How else would you learn about Hallows? Yeah. Who else are you going to be able to learn about them from? Or Is Harry going to take a trip to Nurmengard? Yeah, but (laughs) they they wouldn't know about Grindelwald either. I mean- They know about Grindelwald as a historical character, but I don't think they would know about Dumbledore and Grindelwald actually being friends as as young boys, right? Yeah, the the threads start to become unwoven a bit. Yeah. Do they even end up in Godric's Hollow if they don't have this book? Because don't they go to to see Bethilda because of this book? Because so much of this book rides on the interviews that Rita Skeeter had with Bethilda. And that's why they choose to go. I would like to think they would have gone anyway, but 
they wouldn't have necessarily been going to see Bethilda. They would have gone because that's where Harry grew up and they were looking for some answers. Yeah, he did want to go anyway. That It was just an excuse to go outside of the fact that Harry just wanted to go. Yeah, I think that this would have some really significant impacts on Harry and Hermione's understanding of Hallow's and there would have had to be some kind of change to the story to introduce Hallows in a way that it made it very clear that the choice was boiled down to Hallows versus Horcruxes. And I think we get at least part of that from this book uh, being apparent. I mean, of course, they read um, The Tale of the Three Brothers, so we know about Hallows, but would they even have made the connection between the Tale of the Three Brothers and Hallows and everything if they hadn't had this book? It's hard to say. Who knows? I'm trying to remember if that comes before or after. I think it's after. I'm shocked that Rita had so much importance in this series. I didn't realize until this question was posed. <laughs> I know. I really love this because it does, you know, even if it's difficult to think through a scenario and think about how it could reasonably be like inserted into the series without completely throwing everything to the wind. Um, it does make you realize how integral some characters are, even if they're off screen the entire book. Right. We got another one. First of all, I'm in and out of today's episode because I'm having internet issues right now. So listener, if I'm quiet for longer periods than normal, that's why. But anyway, our next what if, what if Dumbledore's theories about how the final Harry and Voldemort duel was going to go down were wrong? I wanted to explore this because when Dumbledore is talking to Harry at King's Cross at the end of the book, Dumbledore admits he wasn't entirely sure this was all going to go according to his plan. So what if things did go differently and maybe Harry died for real? Yeah, I mean, I, I like to think that the chosen one status, as it were, would have transferred to Neville. Mm. Voldemort knew that Neville was the other choice, right? So maybe one of his weaknesses could be assuming that because he chose Harry, that Neville couldn't take him out. Right. Just like he assumed that I've never experienced love, so this isn't a thing that can take me down he would maybe make the same assumption about Neville and Neville still gets that big glow up at the end of the series where he's like, not nah, actually. <laughs> so there's a big secret. Another secret that's been just under the radar the entire series is that Neville is the real chosen one and Harry was just a decoy. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah. That would be cool, man. Imagine what that would do to Harry's mental health. He's like <laughs> going through the whole series. And then when he's at sort of like the King's cross situation and he chooses death, Instead of life, Dumbledore's like, yeah, actually, you weren't the chosen one. You never were. <laughs> right. Well, that's what's also interesting about this question, because I think the way Andrew originally had it written was, what if Harry chose death instead of returning to fight in the Battle of Hogwarts? Yeah. There's too many what ifs talking about anxiety <laughs> and mental health. <laughs> Try to think about them as distinct items. And then if you see an opportunity to connect it to another one we've talked about, then that's great. But it's easier to talk about these things if you view them as like distinct separate items that aren't all impacted by each other. How would the epilogue be different, Micah? Yeah. So this is a question I had. I actually love Andrew's answer. It sounds like something I would have written. 
he said that we would have learned that Ginny got pregnant with Harry's baby during the seventh year, or that her why not why say or I mean you could have both and that Hermione and Harry did it in a tent. <laughs> well, that would work with the retconning that we got um, from the author the about Ron and Hermione actually not being good for each other. Yeah, and the the movie capturing something of some potential between Harry and Hermione that maybe wasn't acknowledged in the books. So there would be, you know, alignment there from that perspective. Hermione and Ginny would probably not be on the best of terms then. No. Alternatively, um, there was something between Harry and Hermione and there was something between Ginny and Harry. And when Harry dies, uh, Ginny and Hermione get together. That's my, that's my two cents. (laughs) Yes. Oh, I love that. And they're like, this man would not have, he would not have made it through any of this if it weren't for us. Exactly. <laughs> We're amazing. Thinking about something that's one of my favorite things to talk about slash complain about that we didn't get very many answers to in the series. Um, <laughs> what if in book seven, Harry did visit the Department of Mysteries and return to the Vale? And we get to learn more about it, which is what I've always wanted. I would like to think that if he did this, he would have brought Luna with him. He needs somebody who I think has a little bit of a better understanding of what this is. And it would be interesting to see if they could actually communicate with those who are on the other side of the veil and what kind of information potentially Harry could get, whether that's from Sirius, whether it's from Dumbledore at this point. Uh, there's a lot of people uh, that I think could be of huge benefit uh, to Harry. Yeah, I mean, especially knowing that um, these are all people who chose to move on. So there's, you know, information that is otherwise inaccessible to him because it's not like he can track them down like he does nearly Headless Nick, right? Right. So maybe this is a way he's able to connect with his parents, for example. Did you envision this as being... Because I know you think about this particular, I don't want to say it's a moment, but like going back to the Department of Mysteries, you bring this up a lot, Laura. Did you envision it ever being like the veil opens and the dead return to the world of the living? And that could have been something that Voldemort used to his advantage? You know, I think that I was more thinking about the love room (laughs) as we've started calling it. And the impact that might have had just because there was so much emphasis placed on it with Dumbledore telling Harry Voldemort could never understand that there's a power behind that door that's more awful and and powerful than he could ever imagine. And I suppose that I was thinking that between that, between the veil, you've got love and death as really major um, themes that sent her on this place. And a lot of the other magic that goes unexplained about the Department of Mysteries. I thought that all of those elements would come together to create an epic showdown between the two sides. Um, not to say that we didn't get that at Hogwarts, but my thinking was that the final confrontation, or at least part of it, would take place at the Department of Mysteries because it houses some of the deepest, most misunderstood magic um, that would provide us with some answers to 
the way that that magic works um, that we don't necessarily get throughout the books. So I was envisioning it as giving more answers, if that makes sense, rather than like the veil providing aid to like one side or the other. I thought that it was going to give us more answers about the source of magic. Or how about like the Department of Hollows? Just like some answers on the Deathly Hallows, because we've been, because that was a big question for Harry. Or Department of Horcruxes, some light <laughs> Horcrux research going on. Just something to connect to what Harry and Dumbledore were actually working on. Right. Because what else did they need out of the Department of Mysteries? Unless the veil or something else did. Yeah, Laura, I wanted to throw this question in because I know that you were very, as we were talking about last week, you really wanted to see the Department of Mysteries come back and and you were really expecting that in the final book. So I wanted to know what actually you were expecting to occur in the Department of Mysteries. So yeah. thank you for answering that. Sure. Yeah, the answer is I'm not entirely sure, but I <laughs> I thought that there were going to be answers because there was a yeah. lot of setup with the Department of Mysteries sort of implying that like the answers to life and death and love and all of these things were here. So it seemed logical to me that we were going to go back. But we didn't. Harry Potter 7, back to the veil. <laughs> <laughs> Harry Potter 9, back to the veil. <laughs> so I know that uh, a lot of the scenarios we talked about already may not have led to this moment ever even happening. But let's presume that it did. What if Snape never shared his memories with Harry? But if Harry never goes back in time and learns about Snape, Lily, Petunia, Dumbledore, what do we feel would have happened as a result? It's, let's just presume Snape croaks before Harry gets there. Nagini is the big one for me. Once Harry gets out of the memories, he goes and says, the snake needs to be killed, Neville, FYI. And then Neville ends up killing the snake. So the big question for me is, how does the snake die? It's going to take Harry defeating Nagini in addition to everything else he's doing in those final chapters. So, yeah. Nagini is one part of it, but so Harry's the other part. Harry learns about the he knows fact he that he has a horcrux yeah. inside of him. So, and it's why he accepts death, right? Yeah. So there he would have to come to that conclusion in another way. Mm -hmm. Not saying that there's not another way. Mm -hmm. I think that he was primed to accept this, but he would have had to have something happen to make it very clear to him that he needed to do what his mother did in order to protect everybody. Honestly, I think Hermione could have come to that conclusion. Yeah. Like, I have faith that she could have been like, hey, you know, I've been thinking about, like, the fact that, like, you can speak parcel tongue and see into, like, Voldemort's brain. And I think that maybe you're a horcrux. And I think that maybe this is where this is going. You know, like, I feel like that all the puzzle pieces were there and somebody smart could have put them together. A lot of readers felt that Harry was a Horcrux, too, leading right. up to book seven. And we didn't really have any more information than than Hermione did. So. Yeah. yeah. Do you think Harry would have ignored her, though, just like he does <laughs> during the vast majority of the series yeah. when she's right? And he's like, no. Harry still was willing to die, though, I think. Yeah. If he didn't hear Snape's memories, he still accepted that he had to die. He 
He had to he had to try to fight Voldemort. And if he was going to die, so be it. He didn't want more of his friends and the students of Hogwarts and everybody else to die. So he still would have been prepared to die. But thinking about the snitch, I open at the close. I'm not sure those little bits would have come together for him without Snape's memories. Right. in the Discord is saying if he still ended up in the Shrieking Shack, he might have still deduced it because Voldemort was keeping it in that bubble. Um, he was keeping Nagini in that bubble. Mm-hmm. So he, he could have been like, why is he being so, so protective, protective of Nagini? And it probably would have been a really easy connection for him to make. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and if he had witnessed, if he had still witnessed Voldemort killing Snape... I think he could have put the pieces together, but we wouldn't have had quite that nice True. bow tie on it, right? Without right. Snape's memories. No, it, it's like the question about the life and lies of Albus Dumbledore and the revelation of the Hollows, right? You need those pieces to be included in the story. Otherwise, the threads don't start to come together. And And for this moment in the series where Harry is going and looking into Snape's memory, it's basically tying the entire series together for you. So if you don't have that, I feel like it's too open-ended. Yeah. yeah. it There would have had, something else would have to happen for Harry to get this information. So uh, Dumbledore might have had to be more forthright with Harry yep. about things, which would have changed the dynamic between the two of them. Mm-hmm in the later books because Harry is so frustrated by Dumbledore not giving him answers. I mean, let's go back to order of the Phoenix where he's like, I'm going to tell you everything. And it's like, there's an asterisk there. That's like terms and conditions may apply. (laughs) As long as the time is right with Dumbledore, as he says at the end of book seven, you know, it's all about the timing. He has to know certain things at certain times. So when would have been the time for, Dumbledore to pull Harry aside and be like, okay, so now I'm going to give you all the info that would have been in Snape's memories. Right. I I don't know exactly when that would have been. Well, maybe it would have been that Harry goes in and is like dueling Voldemort. Voldemort wins the duel and kills Harry. Harry goes to this like middle ground afterlife place, talks to Dumbledore. Dumbledore gives him the lowdown and then he wakes back up. I like that. I like that. Because the you're you're right, Sequoia. The same thing would have played out if Voldemort won the duel. Yeah, they both would have gone to King's Cross because Harry was still a Horcrux. Yeah, whether mm-hmm. that happened yeah. in the forest or in the battle. So yeah, I mean, I think the the one of the biggest the biggest actually um, impact that this specific what if would have is that maybe you never get to the point where you understand Snape. Whether you like him or not, whether you understand the thing he did and why he did it and X, Y, Z. Yes. And then I guess we have to ask ourselves, how much of an impact does it have on the overall story, understanding Snape's full arc of his love for Lily, him losing that friendship, and him intentionally or not being responsible for her death? How much does that add to this story and to Snape's characterization? Probably depends on how much of a Snape fan you are. <laughs> and and to that point, how does this affect readers' interpretation of Snape? And this completely changes the Snape good or evil debate, which still goes on today. Yeah, It's almost not fair to ask this question because it's so important, as are so, <laughs> so many of these. But 
Yeah, I had kind of a related question that I think would have really thrown everyone for a loop. What if Snape had actually turned out to be bad? That would be, I think, the ultimate twist of the series, because most of us going into book seven, we're like, oh, Snape's definitely good. Look at this evidence. It, yeah. You know, like, yes, he is, you know, playing both sides. But if, you know, he had wanted Harry dead, he probably could have accomplished it sooner. But what if this is all a long game for Snape and Voldemort? And Snape at the very last minute is revealed to be actually bad. He was playing Dumbledore. And is this all because he had a grudge against Harry because he's the son of James? <laughs> like, or, <laughs> or, or because he's just aligned with Voldemort. He's just a baddie. Yeah. Yeah. He's yeah, just bad. He's just a baddie. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I don't know. I just I feel like you have to ask this question with with Lily in mind too, because that's obviously such a big factor here in what ends up happening. So I just wonder how Lily and his feelings towards Lily play into all of this. I, I think to say Snape is actually a baddie is to say that he never loved Lily. I mean, that is the reason that he teamed up with Dumbledore, that he agreed to work with Dumbledore. Well, there are some people who would agree with that interpretation that he never actually loved her Love um, there obsession. is a reading uh... <laughs> yeah, yeah you can do you can do a reading of this character arc that actually makes snape look like he's objectifying her and obsessed with her and that's not the same as love well, look, some people get hung up on somebody for a really long period of time and can't let go. And I agree that that is a problem. I wish Snape would have moved on. Well, Micah, you've got one for us. Yeah, this was one that came to mind when we first just was throwing out the idea for this discussion. What if Harry never disarmed Draco? So much rides on the fact that he does disarm Draco at Malfoy Manor and then has the allegiance of the Elder Wand. I don't really think that Dumbledore could have foreseen that happening. So is that just like a, hey, you know what? Sometimes things work in our favor. It is an interesting point because I think this is maybe one of the the things that you can argue about book seven that in retrospect look maybe a little too convenient. Yeah, I also, I feel like Dumbledore could not have seen that coming, but also like fully would take responsibility for it like yeah i did i did i knew that was gonna happen i knew yeah. you would my dear boy i knew you would my dear dear boy <laughs> well so if harry never disarmed draco would it just be a duel of skill between harry and voldemort because then who would have been the current master of the elder wand would it still be yeah. draco? draco i guess so yeah yeah and then Draco gets involved and defeats Voldemort. Ooh. Okay, cool. I can get down with this. <laughs> or Draco's like, oh, snap. I got to go into hiding. <laughs> and yeah. He's like not present during right. the battle. That would have been cool to see a Slytherin defeat Voldemort or at least help yeah. defeat Voldemort in this way. Yeah, I mean, we talked about this too. If you take it back to a place where like Harry and Draco are in love, which is the my favorite place to be, um, <laughs> I, <laughs> this is the the weapon that Voldemort knows not of. It's love, and it's that Harry, Draco loves Harry so much that he will enter the fray 
<laughs> and defeat Voldemort. Is, uh, what a fun alternate reality. Oh my god, I love the idea of Draco walking up and being like, you've activated my trap card, Tom. <laughs> he just takes him down. <laughs> Tom. Incredible. Uh, it was foolish for you to come here tonight, Tom. <laughs> well, I'm not so sure this aligns with what you were saying, Sequoia, in terms of Draco loving Harry. This would probably be the opposite of that. But MM Star 2 asks, what if Draco outed the trio at the manor? I mean, that would have just game over. Yeah, yeah I feel like Ron or Hermione would have died at that point. Yeah. And the final confrontation probably would have taken place at Malfoy Manor. Which, ugh. Which wouldn't have worked. Yeah. Yeah. Game over. On that note, though, I did ask, what if Ron and or Hermione died? I mean, it was a distinct possibility that the whole trio was not going to make it out intact. Yeah, this is going to be sound so bad to say, but I feel like one of them should die, should have died in the final book. I think it's more realistic for one of the three of them to have died in the course of book seven. I think so, too. Didn't the author, cons- well, I'm sure she considered it, but I-, I feel like she said something at one point. Uh, was it about Ron? Maybe you're thinking of when she wanted to kill Arthur in Order of the Phoenix. Mm, right. Maybe. Apparently, she almost killed Ron instead of Fred. You would have liked that, Andrew, because you don't <laughs> like the Weasleys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Andrew's just secretly trying to take out more Weasleys. Wow. <laughs> okay, so from wizardingworld.com, Rowling did indeed flirt with the idea of killing off Ron. She said, funnily enough, I planned from the start that none of the trio would die. Then midway through, which I think is a reflection of the fact that I wasn't in a very happy place, I started thinking I might polish one of them off out of sheer spite. There, now you definitely can't have him anymore. But I think in my absolute heart of hearts, although I did seriously consider killing Ron, I wouldn't have done it. Okay, so I guess it was just too difficult to actually kill Ron. Yeah, imagine having to explain that to Rupert Grint. That's probably (laughs) what changed her mind. Of course, I have to be the one that dies. Come on. (laughs) Yeah, but I mean, needless to say, it would have had a huge, huge impact on Harry and Hermione. That's who we would have seen be impacted, at least in the writing. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder if Harry would have still become an Auror. Why don't you think you would? Well, I'm just thinking, you know, the golden trio. If you think about the way that they motivate each other, Harry and Ron ended up working together, right? So if Harry hadn't had his best friend there to work with him, he might not have been as motivated to pursue this. Or he might have been extra motivated because he lost his best friend. It's just, yeah, depending on how you think Harry would grapple with his best friend's death... There's a couple of different ways it could go. I mean, according to Cursed Child, Ron becomes an alcoholic because of the events that we see play out in the series. So, uh, of course. <laughs> anything's but possible. With, with the, all the last couple of episodes that we've done, we've talked a lot about how so many people, it seemed, died in Deathly Hallows. Maybe that was her way of correcting for not offing one of the trio because <laughs> okay i'll make a deal reader ron lives but i kill 10 other characters <laughs> yeah well i don't know that i like that deal <laughs> <laughs> you'd rather ron die than uh colin creevy and fred and uh yeah especially colin creevy <laughs> i know <laughs> were you upset he didn't about deserve that, that he did not deserve that he did yeah. not well deserve he that. also wasn't supposed to fight so yeah might have been his fault sorry <laughs> he was being Sorry. brave 
I feel like the if Hermione died is almost like a harder question to answer, though, because like uh, then Ron, I don't know what happens to Ron in that scenario. I think it's really, really bad for Ron if that happens. I don't know that he is able to deal with that in any kind of a good or healthy way for the majority of his life. So he becomes Snape, basically. Maybe. Crazily obsessed with somebody who died decades earlier yeah, and still hasn't but, let it go. But also he would have friends and Snape doesn't have friends. So like maybe True. that would be, it'd be a little bit less. But what if he blames Harry? Maybe. Ooh, blames Harry. He definitely would struggle with his friendship with Harry, I think, for a little bit of time. I think he would get yeah. over it in a couple of years, but that would be tough to move past, move through. Well, to wrap up all of our what if contributions here before we get to some listener what ifs, Andrew yeah. has a fun one. To I kind wanted of to lift end on a lighter up. note. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What if the kids had normal names? <laughs> and this was again inspired by the Deathly Hallows epilogue. We were all upset about Albus Severus and Scorpius, etc. Lily Luna. But people have liked the epilogue better. It was always treated as a joke, in part because of those names. <laughs> but I just want to state again, I'm cool with the epilogue and the names. I think maybe Cursed Child really helped me because then you get to know these kids and then you're like, I don't know, it just kind of helps you better associate right. the names with Well, you're people. not, you're hearing them called by their first name too. You're not hearing them. It's not normal to, at least for most people, to be called by both their first yeah, and their middle name trouble. all the time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right? That I think that's what seems so weird to me is I never got called by my first and middle name unless I was in trouble. But then in this epilogue, they're like, Lily Luna Potter did this and Albus Severus, you're named after two wizards. It It, it just felt weird. Maybe if it was on like a, some kind of, getting on the train, there was a sheet that showed all of their names. That would have been better than having them called by their first and middle names. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I think maybe it would be fine if their middle names were like a tribute to someone who passed and maybe their first names were normal names. <laughs> yeah. Did it bother you, Sequoia, when you first read the book? Do you remember? Okay, I I high key 100% buy that Harry would just name his kids after a bunch of people who died because he okay. is so sentimental and he's so family focused because he didn't have a a healthy upbringing. But also, I my my gripe is with I am I am very anti Snape as a person, so the fact oh. that he named his kid Albus Severus actively made me angry. <laughs> But other than that, I was like, this is cheesy, but I do buy it. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, how I, I always thought of it as Albus Severus Potter, ASP. It's a snake, right? He gets sorted into Slytherin. So there had to be some connection there. Oh. Or am I just overthinking it too much? No, I like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we said on Twitter, well, what other what if scenarios do you have for us? Sherry Nitz said, what if Narcissa told Voldemort that Harry was alive? She'd be choosing her affiliation over the life of her son, which would be a completely different characterization of Narcissa than what we got in the book originally, right? Because it was 
sort of this full circle moment where it was like, again, a mother's love comes in to save the day, even though it doesn't, you know, look quite like how any of us would imagine um, a positive portrayal of that, right? Like Narcissa is very much only doing this because it's her son. She's not doing it because she suddenly had this realization that Voldemort is bad. She just wants her son to be alive. So if she, if she had chosen to say like, screw Draco, the, the greater good is making sure that Voldemort succeeds, it would be, you know, Harry would probably die. I mean, is there a chance that he doesn't, though? Is there a chance that he still has the same wand connection or whatever and and gets the wand from Voldemort in that scenario? Or is that too fast? Well, Harry has his wand on him, right? Yeah. The problem yeah. here is that Nagini is not yet killed. Oh, so yeah. yeah. Neville would have to kill the snake. and But how is he going to? Yeah, see, this is really tough. I don't think. But Harry already told him. Harry did already tell him. But Voldemort and Harry are currently in the forest. Neville's not there. So maybe Harry dies, but they still win the battle in the end. Which is not a good outcome. <laughs> well, not for Harry. Not for Harry, yeah. Not for anybody. <laughs> Nobody wants to lose Harry. <laughs> maybe maybe Hagrid kills the snake. Hagrid, kill the snake. <laughs> Do what? He just like body slams Nagini and kills him. <laughs> but thinking about thinking about another what if scenario, if Harry had died, every kid at King's Cross 19 years later would have had Harry as a middle name. So <laughs> <laughs> Lily Harry Potter. <laughs> Wait, she wouldn't live. No. Berta Font said, What if Hermione never packed a bag? Game Another over. Very crucial question. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a bag that could store so much specifically. Yeah. Might as well ask, like, what if Hermione had never been involved in any of this? They wouldn't have made it. Yes. Phoebe Bradbury once said, what if Hermione left instead of Ron? Dead. Also, also came over. over. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they would have died. No bag, no Hermione. <laughs> Very dead. Can you imagine her being like, I'm taking my bag and I'm out of here. I'm leaving y'all and I'm taking my bag with me. <laughs> and here's actually a serious one from Creed 24. Unfortunately, not the band Creed. What if Dobby didn't die? That's important. Because then Griphook wouldn't have seen Harry burying Dobby and then assisting Harry. So this would have changed some things with Gringotts yeah. for sure. I wouldn't cry every time I watch Deathly Hallows Part 1. <laughs> yeah, that would be a big change. Yeah. Yeah. But it, it, it ties back to Chamber of Secrets, right? Because he says to Dobby, don't ever try and save or promise me you'll never try and save my life again. And then... What happens when Dobby does? Right. Oh. Can you imagine if Dobby was like, okay. <laughs> I <Peace. won't. laughs> I'm going to Elf Island. He just goes off and lives a happy life <laughs> as a free elf. <laughs> oh. That's what I want for Dobby. And then they never get out of the manor. Game over. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> I don't like all these game overs. Sad. It's like one of those uh, choose your own adventure books we used to read when we were kids. And, you yeah. know, you would get to one that was like, and then you died. The end. <laughs> and you have to start over again. Yeah. 
Well, HBO Max, maybe you heard some questions that we raised today and you can launch your own What If series just like Marvel did (laughs) over on Disney+. Well, that was fun. And if you have any feedback about today's discussion, you can send an owl to mugglecast at gmail.com or you can use the contact form on mugglecast.com. You can also send a voice message. Just record it using the voice memo app on your phone and then email us that file. Or you can use our phone number, 19203Muggle. That's 19203684453. Next week on Mugglecast. We will be checking out the Secrets of Dumbledore screenplay script book. It was released just a couple days ago. I started thumbing through it. It's pretty nice. I don't know how much new information is in it, but we will report back on next week's episode. And I think it will also be a Muggle Mail episode as well. So stay tuned for that. It's time for Quizage. Last week's Quizage question, who witnessed Dumbledore using the sword of Gryffindor to destroy the Gaunt Ring? The correct answer was Phineas Nigellus Black, the portrait. He tells the trio while blindfolded. Correct answers were submitted by Janani P, my Lord Bort, Landon, Rodents Rapier, Evil Ringo, Must Be a Weasley 92, Hufflepuff Plant Lady, Sir King of Kings, and Hollow Wolf. Also an honorable mention to JKR Makes Bad Epilogue Names, who submitted the answer Fox or the Portraits on the Wall. Next week's question. What resident of Little Hangleton is quoted as saying that Frank Bryce definitely killed the riddles no matter what the police think? And of course, listeners can submit their entries over on the MuggleCast website. Sequoia, thanks for joining us today. It was great having you on. Thanks for diving into these wild what-if situations with us. It was really fun. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Extra thank you for uh, being here when my internet was falling (laughs) apart. (laughs) No problem. We would have been down to two. And Laura and Micah, of course, are fantastic. But it was super helpful to have uh, an extra person here with us. Where, again, can we find you online and where can we find your shows? Yeah, so you can find my shows, Fanatical Fix and Where to Find Them and But Make It Scary, anywhere you listen to podcasts or at butmakeitscary.com or fanaticalfix.com. You can find me on social media at Sasquoya. And yeah, I hope to uh, have you over at the other pods. Yeah, well, I owe you an appearance on But Make It Scary for sure. Yes. <laughs> I got to collect all the MuggleCast hosts over there, too. I'm going to collect them all everywhere. <laughs> Do it. That sounds fun. Love it. And listeners will have a link to Sequoia on social media and her podcast in the show notes today. So just check out the show notes for those links. Also, make sure you're following MuggleCast for free in your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. And leave us a review if they allow you to. Don't forget to follow us on social media. Our username is MuggleCast on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok. And one more reminder, don't forget the physical gifts over at our Patreon are available now, but make sure you sign up by August 7th to receive the MuggleCast Collectors Club or the MuggleCast Wands. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I'm Andrew. I'm Micah. I'm Laura. And I'm Sequoia. Bye, everybody. Bye, Bye, all. Game over. (laughs) You <laughs> <laughs>